The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And welcome to Arrowhead Pride Radio, brought to you by Kansas Lottery. I'm Jay Binkley, along with the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. And of course, aptly tuned, aptly named Arrowhead Pride Radio, Grant Nicholson producing the operation. Good evening, Pete. Good evening. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, even though it's not a real Thanksgiving Eve. You can't do all the fun stuff you would normally do on Thanksgiving Eve. We're not even having a Raven Steelers. I know. I know. I'm gonna that watch the Santa be Claus. The, that was like the dessert. I'm gonna watch the Santa Claus. Did you ever see the Santa Claus with Tim Allen? I have, Pete. I've seen it. Probably watch some Christmas Vacation or something. See, They're doing I, Plaza Lights, but it's gonna be virtual this year, right? You, you, no one's going down to the street, so there's yeah flipping the lights. I live on. down there, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk around afterward. You know, mask up if, if I see any. Well, it's you, Pete. That's what you like doing. Any others? Um, but yeah, it it it's Thanksgiving, right? The the Chiefs are nine and one, almost perfect. Almost. I was excited for tomorrow because I think in Kansas City you had some real reasons to watch the game. I mean, yeah, the Chiefs weren't playing, but you had Alex Smith going for first place in the NFC East early. Yeah. And then everyone was gonna be the biggest Ravens fans. And now that game has pushed the Sunday, I believe it's 1215, right? 12-15, something like that. Central. Right before the Chiefs game. Chiefs play at 325 p.m. Arrowhead time. So you still get it before the Chiefs game, but you would have liked to have watched that game on Thursday night. I was looking forward to it. I'm glad to do the night game now. This is something Lamar Hunt wanted. Like well, they, there's always been owners talking about you know, the yes. Lions and Cowboys rotation, so they added this extra game right. at night that can be anybody. And the Chiefs were on the, the first Chiefs one. The Chiefs had Broncos. Chiefs Broncos. Yeah, right, Chiefs were on the first one. I suggested to Fox via the Arrowhead Pride Twitter account earlier today, why not replay the Super Bowl? Kansas City does numbers on all kinds of sports. Put the Super Bowl on, you're going to do numbers in Kansas City. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it would do elsewhere, but I, everyone would have that game on. Well, Pete, let's dive in. We're going to dive in plenty to the uh, Bucks chiefs matchup uh, this weekend. But over the weekend, we were treated to a a game between the Raiders and Chiefs. And we finally got to see what we talk about all the time, the guy we want to lead a drive at the end of the game when Patrick Mahomes, a minute 43, 
which was an eternity for him, almost 30 seconds longer than what he actually needed to go down the field, slice and dice the Raiders, and score a touchdown. That was uh, fun to watch and a little bit surprised by ESPN Stats and Info afterwards. That's his first time under two minutes he's left, led a game-winning drive. But trust me, he's done it plenty of times with 2.30 on the clock, 2.10, just not under two minutes. Yeah, it seemed hard to believe just because I think – when you have the Chiefs last year, when they're down in every game in the playoffs, hell, it's part of the Super Bowl ring on the inside of all the deficits that they faced. You would have thought at a certain point in the regular season that Patrick Mahomes would have won a game under two minutes, but that's the first one. I I think what we can all agree is it's the first of many. I, I think we're going to see this again, uh, time and time again, and we'll we'll see if he gets on to the leaderboards at, you know, at some point where... They're talking about him as one of the most clutch players. But one of the problems the Chiefs face with that is that you have to be losing with two minutes left in the game. And the Chiefs don't lose a lot anymore to begin with, let alone in the regular season, let alone being down that late in the game. Well, in the one thing too, Pete, 36 first downs in the game. The Chiefs move the ball at will. I mean, it was an incredible display offensively, and I can't wait to talk to your uh, offensive guru, Kent Swanson, right. uh, coming up at um, at 6.15. And it was methodical, 14-play drives, 16-play drives. The Raiders were trying not to give anything deep. There was one time I thought Patrick Mahomes was going to go deep, but the pressure from the Raiders in that situation, they didn't play a lot of pressure in that game, but they did. They, he decided not to and threw a short pass. But yeah. The longest play in that game was 22-yard touchdown to Travis Kelsey at the very end. But the Chiefs had 36 first downs, tying a franchise record going back to 2004. It was a methodical day for the Chiefs offense. And this is something I think we've noted with Patrick Mahomes and we've noted with Andy Reid. And Andy Reid has said it a couple times where Mahomes is a little bit further advanced now that he's in what, his third year as a, a starting quarterback where he's reading a lot better and he's not necessarily feeling like he has to take a risk. And There's another dimension of quarterback that you can get to when you don't have to prove that you're that guy. And everybody already knows Mahomes is that guy. So if he has to take less numbers on a day to get the victory, he'll do it. Where it did feel like in his first year of starter, as a starter, and, we, and that video was going around uh, yesterday on Twitter, but it did feel like there was a, a, a little bit of showing off. And he doesn't need to really do that anymore. The numbers are going to be there by the end of the season anyway. And I think we saw that on Sunday. Did you know what was going to happen? Did you know the outcome? Because I'll be honest well, with you. Yes. I'll be full, I'm fully transparent on the radio. And I tell you right. what I mean and what's real and what's not real. I honestly knew the outcome. That's why when Witten was scoring that, celebrating that touchdown, a lot of the Raiders weren't. Right. The coaches and Derek Carr weren't. Witten was, but I knew what was going to happen because in the back of my mind, I knew number 15 is now in that place. I want that guy at the end of the game. I think I actually tweeted at the time. And so the Raiders were, they were approaching the goal line. And, you know, I'm not remembering the exact sequence, but they were stuffed at the goal line and it was around the two-minute warning. And at that time, I said, that was the best thing that could have happened to the Raiders because I just knew the clock. And so I don't want to sit here and tell you that I knew the Chiefs were going to win that football game, but I knew when they were about to score with two minutes to go that nothing was over. They needed to figure out a way to take more time off the clock. Now you give the ball back to the Chiefs with 40 seconds or... And it's funny because... You put the game in Butker's hands. Yes, yeah. And you roll your dice with that situation. Agreed. And I just, I, I knew I knew the Raiders were in trouble when they scored too fast. 
Okay, let's look at this. This has been the question this week, Pete, uh, with Chiefs fans and with Raiders fans. Raiders fans are pretty cocky after that. And what's weird is Raiders fans really kind of arrogant after that loss. It was almost like a moral victory to them. They beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. They played the Chiefs close in Las Vegas. But they gave up nearly 100 more yards than the Kansas City Chiefs. They never stopped Patrick Mahomes in that game. And he made their defense look foolish. I am of the ilk where a lot of people say, I don't want to see that team again. I don't want to see the Raiders game. I'm like, bring them on. Bring Derek Carr in Kansas City in January when there's a little bit of snow or it's cold because he is 0-10 when it's 50 degrees. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That is a no. big thing to me. you got to be able to play in that stuff, and he hasn't proven he can. I agree with you. I, I think we need to see Derek Carr perform well in cold weather. What does give me pause is he seems right now to be only playing – a teams in the AFC West well, and then especially the Kansas City Chiefs. And there's no real rhyme or reason, I think, except that the Chiefs have struggled to rush with four and get pressure. And maybe he feels a little bit more comfortable. He feels like he's not going to get hit back there. If the Chiefs and Raiders face each other again, they have to set that tone very early in that game. I don't care what the temperature is. No question about it. Let's look forward a little bit to something I call Pete's questions. It's your questions at the press conference. <laughs> right. and, and Pete's questions only. I like that. You, like you weren't on the Bruce Arians uh, call, though, but I think you listened to it. But the, uh, yes, I, I saw the quote. I was waiting for your question, Pete. But anyway, Bruce Arians said this today down in Tampa about uh, liking Mahomes in the pre-draft process. Yeah, well, listen, they, they all know he's a good player. Now, whether... Bruce Arians, hang on just a second. Here's uh, here's Bruce Arians on uh, the difficulty of Mahomes. That's Mahomes out of the pocket. But Bruce, uh, here's Bruce Arians on Mahomes pre-draft. Sorry about that. Yeah, he probably had the best workout of any kid I went and worked out personally. He and Andrew Luck were the two by far the best on the board. Unbelievable ability. Um, you know, you got great weapons around him. I think keeping those guys around him, keeping that – that offense intact, um, especially next year with the cap. I mean, it's going to be harder and harder, but uh, he's a great, great player. And I knew he would be great. He's so, he's so smart and, and so talented. Bruce Arians, uh, that was really the first part of it. He also added this too. Yeah, I, I think, you know, he's, he's a very unique individual that, you know, you teach young guys never throw it back across the field, but he does it, re, he does it uh, in a ridiculous manner. Uh, sidearm, underhand, and, and he's very accurate with it. Most guys cannot do that. He just uh, he, he has a different skill set than other people as far as throwing back across the field. Uh, but you still got to chase him around. You got to plaster downfield, um, and he is also does a great job of running and getting first downs himself. So uh, it's a different, unique challenge when you start chasing him around. And you followed it up today in your press conference with Andy Reid, talking about the Bruce Arians' comments about. One Patrick Mahomes, here was Andy's response. Yeah, well, listen, they, they all know he's a good player, whether they liked him or didn't like him coming out. Um, I know Bruce did like him. I mean, when Bruce uh, was in the media, he had a chance to do a couple of our games, and so I had a chance to talk to him candidly uh, when he was out of coaching. So um, I know how much he how much he liked him, and that, that was real. And um, I, – I also knew during the draft how much he liked him. So there were reasons why we had to maneuver a little bit <clears throat> to, to get him. So um, anyways, with, with that, uh, I, I think everybody, you know, you can't help but like him when they watch him play now. So whatever their feelings were before. 
Bruce Arians, former wide receiver coach with the Steelers, won a ring. He won a ring yeah. as a Steelers offensive coordinator. He knows a little something about quarterbacks. He worked with Big Ben, Andrew Luck, you name it. That's kind of been his his thing, like Andy Reid, quarterback whispers, and he definitely liked Mahomes. I think the common denominator with Arians and Reid is they know that the whole thing starts with the quarterback. Like Arians has worked with a lot of great quarterbacks, and he doesn't want to necessarily be in a situation with a bad quarterback. And like last year when they didn't have Brady, he basically was calling Jameis Winston out. I mean, he was he was saying we could win with somebody else, more or less. And then he runs into Tom Brady, probably sold on the fact that you know he is the quarterback whisperer and he knows offense. And same thing with Andy Reid, where in his career. Yes, they haven't been as talented and maybe I guess the right adjective is as goat-like as Patrick Mahomes, but he's had some pretty good quarterbacks in his day with Alex Smith and Donovan McNabb and Michael Vick. And it starts with the quarterback. And I really believe in covering football, the one thing that you always hear, it's that if you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't matter about the rest of the players. It starts with the QB. And if that's not done, you you might as well just try to figure out how to get that done or or figure out how to get in a position to take one that you like. And Reed and Arians have done that consistently throughout their careers. Also today, Andy Reed mentioned no injuries. And you look at the injury report. Miracle. Pro- it's a miracle. Watkins out there, full participant. Uh, we could see Sammy Watkins, I suppose. It, it's a question only because he was full last Wednesday. And I don't know if there was a setback or something. Could have been on Wednesday. Could have been on Thursday. Could have been the medical team saying uh, he's not really reacting. He's a little bit more sore than we thought. And he was limited Thursday, limited Friday, ultimately ruled out for the Raiders game on Saturday. I feel a little bit better about this one because Tyreek Hill was asked about Watkins today. And Hill said that Watkins made some kind of ridiculous catch in in practice. That is a very, very good sign. I I tend to think it's safe to say we'll see Watkins as long as there's no no more setbacks on Sunday against the Bucs. You remember Veach in the postseason last year when Watkins was putting up huge numbers? I mean, this guy almost catches 100 yards a game in the postseason. That this is when you need him. You don't need him during the regular season. <laughs> don't you remember that quote you by d- Beach? It's true. Yes, it was. I believe it was after the AFC title game where he was saying in the locker room, "This is the time that we got Watkins for," and he's right. I think in you know, kind of try, trying to trying to make sense of what he said when the Chiefs play teams that are far inferior to them, they don't need Sammy because you have. Hill and you have Kelsey and they're going to beat whatever you try to do against them anyway because you're an inferior defense. It's those teams that are good enough to get to the final four or the final eight where they're able to curb Hill or Kelsey like some of those Belichick defenses and you get to your final four your AFC title game that third option through the air is going to have to perform and now we've seen that in the playoffs and so I think the Chiefs are fortunate to get Watkins back, especially when you're playing a team like the Tampa Bay Bucks and you have some AFC West games and the New Orleans Saints around the corner. Well, back to Pete's questions. Of course, the uh, the game of the week this week will be the Chiefs versus the Buccaneers, NFC power. But I say that loosely because everybody in the NFC, it's up one week and down the others. That's the Green Bay Packers after losing to Minnesota <laughs> and getting drubbed by Tampa. Tampa's had some impressive wins. Impressive win over the Raiders, 45-20. to Impressive win over the Carolina Panthers, two teams the Chiefs struggled against. And then the Saints have bombed them absolutely t- twice. But it is, t- it is Patrick Mahomes going against um, Tom Brady. And you had asked Tyreek Hill about Tom Brady and his thoughts on that. Interesting response from Tyreek. You know what? I'm just 
I'm just so surprised, you know, for a guy his age, you know, just to, um, just just watching him play over the years, you know, um, how great he is. You know, I've always been a fan of Tom. Like I'm, a, I'm always called him the goat. I mean, even though I play with Pat, he's the goat too. But Tom, he's he's obviously the goat of our sport, you know. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'm just just so glad to be able to play against Tom. Hopefully, I can get a, a jersey swap, you know. So yeah, two goats going at it. Yeah, you like the respect that some of these Chiefs have for Brady. And one common theme that I heard while I believe it was you know Tyron today. Uh, at the podium as well, yeah. The thing that I, I I thought was interesting is they're complimenting Brady, and you know they're calling him the greatest. But at the same time, they're they're catching themselves a little bit and saying, "Well, well we do have Patrick, and <laughs> that's what we're living in right now. We're living with the player that is going to eventually challenge Brady for some of these ridiculous numbers." No question about it. Kit Swanson, who was a big part of the KC Draft Guide on ArrowheadPride.com. And film analyst Fortin breaks down Mahomes in any, any situation. He had to been loving watching that Mahomes drive that last 143, and I'm sure he's loves, watched it loves probably 20 times. But you're listening to Arrowhead Pride Radio. Kent Swanson next. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented to you by the Kansas Lottery. Jay Binkley, Pete Sweeney with you. Now time to check in as we do each and every week with the one, the only, at Kent Swanson on Twitter. He's the uh, offensive, uh, well, defense too, but we talk offense with him and part of the KC Draft Guide. He puts out a tremendous draft guide each and every year. Kent, good evening and happy Thanksgiving. Kent. Thank you, my friend. Good to be on with you. Good to talk to some Chiefs. Excited to spend some time with family. Hopefully, you're getting to spend some time with yours as well. Absolutely. At Kent underscore Swanson is the proper Twitter handle for one Kent Swanson. All right, Kent, uh, Pete and I were joking between the break. You love watching quarterback play. It's what you used to play that position. You enjoy this a lot. Minute 43 on the clock. Pat Mahomes had the ball go down either tie or win the game. I told Pete I thought he would do it. Thought there was no question about it. You gave him the ball. He's going to go down the field and watch it. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I had a pretty good feeling. You know, I think I, I might have even tweeted out that they left too much time for him. Okay. I mean, what this guy does and how how he's able to normalize just phenomenal quarterback play and make situations that are not that easy look as easy as they are is it's rare. I mean, the, the man was perfect frankly, in, in that last minute 43. So perfect that he only needed, what, a little over a minute to finally execute that touchdown. <laughs> what a fantastic performance by him. Uh, you, you, <laughs> this man, there's no, there's no stopping this dude. There really isn't. Nearly got, nearly got a glimpse at, at Rant Swanson right there with that that high level, high level voice. Ken, I want to ask you something that I've I've noticed, and I know I'm nitpicking here because we're talking about the greatest uh, football player in the world, best quarterback in the league, the guy who's on the fast track to win the MVP. There does seem a tendency, and I know you've watched all the snaps from multiple angles, where. He, he, it's almost like he, the fourth quarter is when it's Mahomes' time. What did you think, if you had to guess, has been maybe the struggle in the... It seems like the middle of games this year where you have a hot start and a hot ending, but there is like that lull. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's some validity to that, and I think there are some stretches where things get a little stale for him at times, and, you know, I think it can be attributed to a lot of things. I think it's just kind of a perfect storm pretty consistently. I don't think it's just one thing that he's doing or one thing that, you know, the offensive line or the play calling is doing necessarily. I think it's just kind of just a combination of everything. I think there are times where Mahomes gets a little too impatient, yeah. and I think that's something you've kind of seen this year. There are some stretches where maybe things aren't as clean. Maybe things, maybe, you know, maybe they get off the field with a punt because Mahomes has maybe, you know, been a little bit too aggressive or um, tried to try to do a little bit too much. I think there is some instances where he doesn't play within himself. And But the thing is, like, playing within himself, like, what does that even mean? He's, like, literally <laughs> the best player in the world. So, like, if he's trying too hard to be more than the best player in the world, you know, I think that's where some things maybe get a little bit inconsistent. But I think he normally comes back pretty quick to it. Yeah. Well, offensively, it was just the machine in this game. We're talking long, methodical drives, 14 yards or 14 plays, 16 plays. They had the ball almost the entire third quarter. And the longest play of the game was 22 yards to Travis Kelsey. This, to me, was one of their better offensive games because the Raiders tried to take certain things away, like the deep ball. But these long, patient drives of the Chiefs really displayed the amount of patience they have with moving the football down the field. Yeah, I mean, teams that you know kind of reduce the margin of error for the Chiefs offensively are the ones that typically make these games a little bit closer. And it's kind of funny talking about a game that the Chiefs scored 35 points in the game that the margin for error was, was reduced, but it's kind of true. And you kind of saw what happens. The downfall of just kind of taking what the defense gives you and methodically driving the ball down the field is you saw what happened in, you know, late in the first quarter, first half, a miscommunication between Demarcus Robinson and Patrick Mahomes yep. led to an interception. Sometimes it's not about making Mahomes make a mistake. It's just about making someone make a mistake for this team. And they missed out on an opportunity to, to get a big touchdown late in the first half because there was a miscommunication. So, you know, 35 points is awesome. They did, in some ways, reduce their margin of error because it required a, a comeback touchdown at the end of the game when there really wasn't a ton of possessions for the Chiefs to make a mistake, and they made a couple. That's how the game got a little bit close there. Yeah, especially against a, a Raiders team that is improving. We we think that that's an improving program. It's going to be, I, I think, I don't think they're going to be better than the Chiefs considering Mahomes, but they're a growing nuisance, and I, I think we can agree to that. Ken, I want to ask you for the second week in a row, I believe, right? Oh, no, we didn't have you last week, but I'm asking about this for the second week in a row. Sammy Watkins is going to make his return, we think, again. Uh, what will he inject into this team? Healthy Sammy Watkins is a very slept-on player. When he is healthy, when he's at his best, he is one of the top 30 receivers in the National Football League comfortably. Uh, and you see that in the playoffs. And having a guy like Patrick Mahomes to have a, a talent like that, that's kind of an afterthought, is, is pretty special. But that's really what happens with Sammy Watkins, and that's why playoff Sammy is a thing, is because teams are so hell-bent on stopping Travis Kelsey, on stopping Tyree Kill that they forget about that Sammy Watkins guy who is a talent in and of himself. And so, you know, getting a guy like him back into the mix, hopefully for the stretch run of the season, hopefully healthy for the playoffs is huge because it makes this offense that much scarier. It gives Patrick Mahomes that kind of guy that, you know, if teams are going to just sell out to try to slow down Kelsey and Hill, 
they've got another guy over there that can really make a play and can really hurt you. Even this year, he's shown some extreme, it's a very high explosiveness. Like, there's some plays that he's made this year that you look at him and go, okay, Sammy, all right, look at that explosiveness. But, um, you know, obviously the injuries are always a question with him. Uh, if he's healthy, if he's ready to roll, and if he's, if he's ready for this, this Tampa Bay game coming up, which he needs to be ready, um, you know, he can make some big plays in this game. Don't, don't get me wrong. Chance, we talk all the time about time of possession. I still think it's the biggest thing if you're going to beat the Chiefs. But, you know, Mitch Holtis pointed it out this morning when he was on with Kling. Chiefs have the fewest possessions in the NFL, yet they lead the NFL in scoring. I mean, that is one of those things if you're a team and you're going, to well, what time of possession? We have to own it. Well, you can try that, but the Chiefs are so good and efficient in what they do. Fewest possessions does not lead to the most points in the NFL very often. No, they're uber efficient. They're just an absurdly efficient football team. And I mean, I do think, you know, we talk about the time of possession argument. I do think what, what Mitch is kind of talking about with the possessions is ultimately what it's about. I don't think it's much about time of possession as much as I think about possession. Teams have really focused on limiting the possessions of the Chiefs, and they do it two ways. They do it with ball control, and they do it with forcing this defense or for forcing this offense to drive down the field with 10, 15 play drives, trying to reduce that margin of error, kind of like I was talking about. So that's the two ways that these that teams have really been trying to re, you know limit this offense, and they really haven't been able to because from an efficiency perspective, like Mitch is talking about, they're absurd. They are so ridiculously efficient as an offense. Um, it, obviously, it makes things a little bit more interesting for Chiefs fans. Which I mean, maybe you, maybe you need that. Maybe you need that stress in your life. I don't know, uh, but it does. It can it can show the propensity to make these games a little bit tighter, especially if the defense isn't holding their end of the bargain. So um, it's it's. It's a fascinating trend to watch, but it's the only way I think teams feel that they have a, a legitimate hope is reducing those possessions, just letting them drive down the field, selling out to take away the explosive plays, and hoping you know a mistake happens and your offense can hold up enough to to you know to really make that a game. Ken, it's colder outside in Kansas City tonight, but let's pretend it's the summer and we're going to suck in a little bit because we got our shirt off. We're going to suck in all the Chiefs bias that we possibly can. Who's the best skill position player on the field on Sunday night, and why? Man, I I'm gonna I'm gonna have a hard time. This is just legitimate. I'm having a hard time looking at anybody other than Travis Kelsey right now and what he's been able to do and how dominant of a force he's been over the course of this season to, to take anybody but him. And you know, it's, obviously. Tampa Bay has some exceptional talent, and I'm not trying to take away from any of the guys that they have. They've got a lot of different guys with a lot of different skill sets um, that you know that are that are really you know tantalizing and productive historically, uh, like Mike Evans. But what Travis Kelsey is doing right now is is wildly impressive. He's second in the National Football League in receiving yards as a tight end. He's doing it a little bit differently than he's done. He's not the same athlete that he was in 2013 when he got into the National Football League. But what he is is one of the most savvy route runners for any position. Fluid, smooth, you know, um, real nuanced, understands how defenses are trying to play him. Uh, has phenomenal spatial awareness, which I think continues to get better. You know, some of these little little dream shakes you're seeing <laughs> in the middle of the field where he fakes one way yeah. and cuts back in the other way is because he has a good 
uh, understanding of, of the space around him. Like it's it's just it's innate. It's it's something that's developed over the course of his career. He's on a he's on a heater. He's on an absolute <laughs> heater. Extremely difficult to bring down. And it's, I think it's Travis Kelsey running away. He's just he's that good right now. It's funny. He's only 16 yards behind DeAndre Hopkins for the NFL lead right. in receiving yards. And you know what? Without catching that hell mary. He's not ahead of Travis Kelsey. <laughs> yeah. Stephon Diggs would be by ten yards, but DeAndre wouldn't be leading without that Hail Mary. Thanks a lot, Kent. We appreciate it, brother. Anytime, my friend. There you go, Kent Swanson at Kent underscore Swanson on Twitter, part of ArrowheadPride.com. Coming up next, we'll go back with the ArrowheadPride.com defensive film analyst, Craig Stout, next. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio. And welcome back to Arrowhead Pride Radio, brought to you by Kansas Lottery. Jay Binkley, Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief, ArrowheadPride.com. Joining us now, defensive film analyst for ArrowheadPride.com and also part of that Kansas City draft guide as well, the one, the only, Craig Stout at Barleyhop on Twitter. Craig, good evening. Good evening, fellas. How are we doing this evening? You know, Craig, back in the day had the most difficult job at Arrowhead Pride because he would have to review every week Bob Sutton's defense. Oh, yeah, we had fun with this We're topic. getting a few callbacks. We're getting a few callbacks, I think, this year, and I feel like this week is maybe not exactly that, but we're kind of close to it, no, Craig? Yeah, the, this week was definitely one of the worst performances of the year, maybe by the previous Raiders, you know, game that they played against them. It just was... Pretty bad. Tackling was poor. Execution was poor. Chiefs couldn't rush the passer. Just about all the things that they have done well throughout the season, they all kind of fell off. And the Raiders really kind of shot themselves in the foot with some drop passes, or else this game may have gone the other way because of the defense. Well, you look at what the Chiefs have done this year. They were fourth in the NFL as far as uh, pressure on the quarterback. They've dropped down to nine. What do you think it is about the Raiders and the scheme? Because obviously it's not always the talent because Trent Brown didn't play in this game, but that offensive line skill set and what they're doing about against the Chiefs defensive line is creating trouble to put pressure on Derek Carr. Well, uh, realistically, what the Raiders have done here is they're doubling Chris Jones and they're chipping Frank Clark and they're telling the other two pass rushers in a four-man pass rush, you guys go out and you beat us. Because so far, now that Taco Charlton is on IR, guys like Tono Passigno, Mike Dana, Alex Okafor, they've not really won in the pass rush game very often. And then the other guy next to Chris Jones, because the Raiders were getting ahead of the sticks and their heavy run threat is typically a guy like Derek Naughty or Mike Pinnell, who are fantastic run stuffers, but not really good pass rushers. And so when you're having to rely on a couple of guys that aren't getting it done so far this year, it makes it easier for the Raiders to line up, double and chip Clark and Jones, and be able to just allow Derek Carr to have plenty of time back there to pick apart the Chiefs secondary. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this game, and I've noted this week that I, I was dangerously close to picking the Bucks, and I didn't do it because the Chiefs have Mahomes, and what Kelsey and Hill are doing right now to me is historic. But this was my thought, and I just wanted to get your take on it. So let's say the Chiefs are unable to get pressure on Tom Brady. Then you're looking at 
him clear to throw to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown, who's suddenly a regular part of this Bucks offense, it just makes me feel like they could stick in a shootout with the Chiefs. How concerned are you about that scenario? Well, and you're going to be there now. Cameron Brink, Tyler Johnson, you know, Shady McCoy, Ronald Jones. Yeah. They've got weapons. They have so many weapons. Yes, they can't pressure Tom Brady. I think we all witnessed what happens when Tom Brady's pressured over the past couple of weeks. He falls apart. Right. Like everything just falls apart, and he struggles. But the Bucks have a strong power run game a quick passing game that they can rely on with Brady. And then they've also got some play action balls. Those are the three things that really have been the Chiefs defensive crux this year. This is a really bad matchup on its face just in the way that the play calling goes, let alone some of these weapons that can take a lot of these a lot of these passes that Tom Brady's throwing, a lot of these handoffs to the house. Yeah. Because they are such top shelf weapons, this is a very worrisome game based on the way that the Chiefs have played the last couple of weeks of the last couple of games against offenses with similar approaches to the game. The offensive line of the Buccaneers have only yielded 15 sacks, but the last three weeks, weeks 8 through 11, Tom Brady's 0 for 11 on 20-yard passes, no touchdowns, three picks. Of course, he didn't have any touchdowns. But one thing I've noticed about Tom is you don't it's kind of like last week Frank Clark got to Derek Carr he had his hand on him but Derek Carr mobile enough to get away and complete the pass Tom Brady often in those situations will just go down he didn't even want to risk it he didn't really sweat around he'll just go down the deep ball in Tom Brady will this enable the Chiefs maybe to be a little more creative with the secondary maybe some more secondary blitzes to apply apply pressure since he has so much trouble now going downfield I do think that there is an opportunity to do that. And I know that we've spent years and years basically watching Derek Carr lift under pressure for whatever reason against the Chiefs. He, he had a big board seat on and was just able to kind of manipulate the pocket, be able to throw downfield, be able to stand in against some pressure. Teddy Bridgewater as well did a similar thing. But yeah, Tom Brady, as good as he is at manipulating the pocket and as good as he's been in his career, He's not a guy that's going to be able to move away from pressure quickly, and he's panicking right now. He's pressing. He knows he needs to produce. He knows that you know, Bruce Arians is saying things about him. <laughs> yet there's a lot of tension in that building, and it's causing some of these times that he's trying to push down the field him to be a lot more inaccurate because he's trying to force it a little bit. Is Steve Spagnuolo in his head, Craig, a little bit? Because Spags has been his kryptonite, run his perfect season, beat him last year. Is is Steve Spagnola, does he have whatever it is against Brady? Oh, yes. Yes, he absolutely does. Now, it's just the difference between whether or not he's able to execute that. But I do think that he can dial that up and keep Tom Brady uncomfortable for most of the day with creative blitzes. We know they're out there. We know they get home. It's just a matter of being able to stop enough of the run game, the short passing game on early downs to force him to have to push the ball down the field a little more. There have been some tweets this week between CDOT and defensive tackle Chris Jones, and you had noted, Craig, that uh, Jones is being doubled. Is it a fair expectation that Jones should be beating this double team more more uh, frequently? Is that a fair expectation for Chiefs fans? I think it's a fair expectation that 
that he's able to do a little bit more with the single blocks that yeah. he gets. I mean, there are very few guys in this league that can consistently win against the double team outside of Aaron Donald. And even Aaron Donald doesn't always win all of those. But it, it, Chris Jones does get plenty of one-on-one matchups. It's not all, you know, double teams. And he's not really winning some of those as well. I know everybody wants to hark on his effort level and everything like that. This has been the player that he's always been. There's always a couple reps every game where he does slow play it a little bit. Maybe the boot, no, bootleg away from him. He's not chasing it down like a Turk Wharton does. But that's the end of the game with Chris Jones because he is an elite pass rusher. Now, we haven't seen some of those of these pass rushes over the past two weeks. I think that's the more concerning element of it. You want to see him stream together a little bit more. But even when he is getting back there, there's just not enough help on that opposite side. Quarterback's been able to roll out of the pocket, be able to get out in open space and throw the ball. Tom Brady's probably not going to do that. So maybe Chris Jones can have a big day because he's going to be more of a stationary target. What do you make about Juan Thornhill? Kind of a situational player now, it seems. Maybe the ACL's not 100%. Tyron Matthew talked today you know, about encouraging him going forward. The new depth chart that came out has Sorensen as the starting free safety, Thornhill as the backup. You think there's more of an ACL? Just, I mean, it is tough to come off that injury, and he's 11 months away from it. Do you think that's kind of the plan now, just giving him more rest now before the postseason, or is it the play impacted? I sure hope that's all it is. I do think that a little bit of his play has been impacted. He hasn't been the same player that he was last year. That's to be expected. You know, he, he is an athletic guy. And if that athleticism is just taking a little while to build back up, it's hard to get yourself back into that mode again. I, when we saw him on the field and the dime defense this week, he made a couple plays that were good. He made a couple plays that were bad. It was kind of a 50-50 sort of deal. But with LeJarrius Sneed back, they have opted to move Tyron Matthew back to safety in the nickel rather than that slot cornerback role that he has been playing. They put LeJarrius Sneed there. So that was the really interesting development to me. Tyron Matthew played at a defensive player of the year level from the slot last year. And with LeJarrius Sneed coming back, rather than you know, mixing LeJarrius Sneed into the dime, they opted to have uh, Tyron Matthew move back and take Juan Thornhill spot back there. That was really the interesting development. I'm curious to see what they're going to do going forward from that role. Craig, excellent stuff. Craig Stout at Barley Hop on Twitter, defensive film analyst for ArrowheadPride.com. Craig, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and we'll talk soon. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you and you guys' as families as well. Thanks. Thanks, Craig. There you go, Craig Stout, right there. Excellent work by him at Barley Hop. Check out his work, arrowheadpride.com. Coming up next, you can get your questions in. Smitty's Garage Burgers and Beer text line, 913-576-7610 if you have questions for Pete or me regarding the Chiefs as Pete and I look forward to the Mahomes-Brady matchup next. This is Arrowhead Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio. And welcome back. Final segment, Arrowhead Pride Radio, brought to you by the Kansas Lottery. Jay Binkley, Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief, arrowheadpride.com. Don't forget, 913-576-7610. Your questions for one Pete Sweeney. Let's do it. Well, we have one here about DeAndre Baker. Wouldn't you expect that he's going to come back? I will say this. Pete, Pete Sweeney right. asked Tyron Matthew, the honey badger, 
And this question about uh, DeAndre Baker and how that uh, he'll step up with them. So this was uh, Pete's question, and this is the response by Mr. Badger. I mean, that's part of the reason I came here to, you know, be around some young guys that, that really can learn from me. You know, obviously, I've been through a, a lot of life challenges, a lot of, you know, different circumstances. Um, and, you know, I've actually reached out to him, you know, be, be right before he actually got here. And I just kind of told him that I always be in his corner, you know, I always be that shoulder that he can lean on. And, you know, I think that's the most important thing, you know, especially when people are coming to new environments is they're just trying to find one person they can lean on, one person they can talk to, one person that can get them comfortable. And, you know, hopefully I'm able to do that for him. Um, you know, just seeing him practice today, uh, the kid got some talent. You could tell he knows football a little bit. And um, so it's all about us just making sure, keeping his head right. Um, and then the footballer take care of himself. That's the quarterback on defense. We knew from day one, Pete, when he signed his contract and, he had said that Mahomes had called yeah. him. You and I were interviewing Mr. Badger in the hallway, and I asked him, or you asked him, uh, about what Pat said to him. He said, you take over the defense, I'll take the offense. He certainly is uh, the Pat Mahomes voice and responsibility of him on defense, taking DeAndre Baker. And we, this is part of the reason you get the Honey Badger. You get him for the, the leadership yeah. that he displays and doing this. I thought it was a good question. Trez Paler has a great story on Yahoo with Deion Sanders firmly in the camp of DeAndre Baker and how much he liked him coming out of Georgia. Yeah, we got to be honest with this guy. There have been some weird off-the-field stuff with the four counts of robbery and firearm, but it was ultimately thrown out because of extortion charges. So we don't know what exactly happened there, but it, it seemed like wrong place, wrong time, wrong crowd type of deal. We know that Tyron Matthew has had some stuff off the field, especially when he was first out of college and really turned his life around into the clear leader of the Chiefs defense. So there really is no better person to be in the corner of DeAndre Baker, maybe in the National Football League, than Tyron Matthew. And we know he has the first-round talent. This was a player that the Giants traded some assets for and, and believed in, especially coming out of school. And the question here on... The text line, 913-576-7610, is when do we expect to see him? Combined with that quote from Matthew, and I, I just feel the Chiefs need in the secondary, my answer, and not a precise answer, would be as soon as he's ready. I mean, if he is ready next week, I think he may be up. If he's ready the week after that, I think he may be up. I think that's the type of talent he could potentially have. And let's be honest here. Let's look in the mirror. This isn't necessarily a world-beating chief secondary where you have all pros at every position. They could use talent and see what they have there. Different situation, Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was playing football for the Jets, so he's already in right. you know, shape. DeAndre Baker wasn't, although he supposedly was staying in shape. The next one is old friend Stephen Wisniewski. Started the final five <laughs> games for the Chiefs last year including being their highest-graded interior lineman, started the Super Bowl talking about running it back. He wasn't brought back, signed with the Steelers, had a peck injury, right. I believe, and was let go. Andy Reid asked about this at the press conference, although you didn't ask this question. Yeah, so you can't have enough offensive linemen or defensive linemen. I mean, that's been proven. And so uh, <laughs> to be able to add one like Stefan, that's a, that's a big thing. Um, uh, he had been banged up a little bit, and now he's healthy, and so we welcome him back. Uh, it's a great job by Veach doing that and his crew. I can't ask every question, Jay. They they only unmute my mic one time. Per well, here's the deal. I like this guy so much so. I asked Therese Paler Monday night on the Therese Paler show about Wisniewski. It's getting that toughness back like we had with KO. Yeah. This is what Therese had to say about Wisniewski. 
It is. And my expectation is that by the end of the year, he'll be up, right? Okay. It's just like Baker. He's trying to, you know, I think he's going to work his way back into the mix and he'll be up by the end of the year. But I was laughing because, like, I know you like Wisniewski because I like Wisniewski <laughs> and our football <laughs> sensibilities are very similar. He's a nasty guy. Yeah. You know? That guy blocked so hard, man. Pete. He had a little extra edge to him. He and did. I liked it. You know, and I, I like I like that guy. Like, I'm glad he's back. I like watching edgy, chippy football players. And he was good for them last year. You're right. The line got better with him. Give me some edgy and give me some chippy, Pete. I have a couple points on this. First of all, I like him here because he signed with the Steelers in part because he was going back home, and they kind of gave up on him. You know, they waived him and released him, and he was free. And the Chiefs brought him back, and this is a guy who played down the stretch for them and was really good. What I will say is this. I also asked Andy Reid about Nick Allegretti a few weeks back, and he had a lot of good things to say about Allegretti. If Wisniewski is back in the mix, what I think is it won't be at left guard. I I really think Allegretti has done enough to earn the ability to stay in that position. So it might be at right guard with Andrew Wiley because maybe there is some room for improvement there. I think they're going to go with Ryder at center, and then everyone's fingers are crossed here that eventually Mitch Schwartz can return to the right tackle position because that's the best option there. You know what the other good thing is? Who's the next best team in the AFC? Pittsburgh Steelers, who kind of knows that team a little bit and was around their philosophies and everything else. Bright light. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Corner I mean, room, little smoke. You could get to the What's AFC. What's going on over there? You're, we are. The Pittsburgh Steelers is one train, and the Kansas State Chiefs is another train. And these things are chugging along here. And if you had to bet on the AFC title game, what would you bet right now, Jay? Chiefs and Steelers. Right. So who better and who's going to have more of a chip on her shoulder to punish the Steelers for what they did than a starting right guard in Stefan Wisniewski, someone who won a Super Bowl last year, has a ring, so on and so forth. I like it, and I tend to agree with you and Therese. Pete, we got about a minute left. I will ask this question. What is Pete Sweeney's favorite thing on Thanksgiving? And it doesn't have to be an Alex Smith-like answer that Turkey jumped out. I love the end of the parade when Santa comes out. I, I have They're my, not doing a parade. They're just doing this I, thing Well, whatever. The, yeah. When Santa comes at the end, my mom, I, I'm from New York, so you're going to hear an accent here. My mom would always say, at the end of the parade, when Santa comes out, it's officially Christmas. So hi, Mom. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, I'll be looking forward to that on Thanksgiving morning. Looking forward to uh, barbecue. It's a Kansas City-style Thanksgiving. Ribs, burn-ins, you name it. It's like I'd like to do. Thanks to Kent Swanson. Thanks to Craig Stout for joining us. Thank you, Grant Nicholson, for producing the operation. For Pete Sweeney, I'm Jay Binkley. Bink at night with Chris and Ocero next. Pride Radio, presented by the Kansas Lottery, 610 Sports Radio.